0: Good morning again. And you know, before I jump in, just kind of a reminder, I'm still surprised, as I see Sean down here, I'm still surprised by our Christmas miracle. Um, did a lot of hard praying and corporate praying and personal praying for Kelly, and I believe it was Christmas Day when... The good news came that she would turned that corner, and and then uh, last night, last night, she, she went home. So we're uh, tickled, always tickled to see the way God works, um, but in cases like this, it's a little extra special, so praise God, praise God. It's almost the new year almost. And I usually preach this after it's turned the new year, but I was like, we are so close. I'm just going to go ahead and jump the gun and get it going because I'm kind of looking forward to 2024. Um, normally with new years, we usually get into these things called resolutions. Um, I think I asked last year, I'm going to ask again this year and I'll probably ask every year, does anybody still do those? Okay, I did ask last year because I remember that same response. Nobody does those anymore here. But that said, there's still a lot of people who do those resolutions, whether it's trying to lose weight or or whatever it is, not lose their temper this year, or they're going to accomplish something special this year, um, work on their relationships. I saw one resolve to be a better husband and father um, good resolution, and that can be made any time of the year at any point in their life. Um, but we do. We have a tendency to, when New Year's comes, we we start thinking about, how can I improve my life? How can this year, 2024, be better than 2023 was? And for some people, 2023 was so great, you know, how do you build upon that? But we do it anyway, right? We start looking to that transition and getting into the new year, and and how can this year be a good year? And I think this year, um, through different experiences, and I'll get more into that later, uh, my family and I are resolved that we will get moved this year. Um, It will happen. Now, that said, we always know to leave it in the hands of the Lord. He, He has the timing. He has the place and all that. But that said, we'll put every effort in to seeing it happen this year. But whatever we do, for new years, whatever our traditions are, whatever our thinking process, we always come to this point of the year and we're saying goodbye to the last year and hello to the new year. And if you think about it, going into a new year is like entering into uncharted territory, isn't it? Because it's it's fresh, it's new, nothing has happened yet this year. so So anything that we do could make something special. Anything that any relationship, any action, anything, any purchase, you know, wherever wherever your priorities lie, whatever it is, could make 2024 special. And so we're entering into uncharted territory, as the Bible says, for you have not passed this way before. We've never been to 2024. We don't know what it looks like. We don't know what it holds. Only God knows that. But if you'll take your Bibles with me, I think there's some lessons that we can learn from the book of Joshua that will be things that we can take with us into this new year and every new year that we come across. Joshua chapter 1, and we're going to start reading in verse 1. Joshua 1, verse 1 it says, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people to the land, which I am giving to them, the children of Israel, arise and go. There's a lot going on with Israel at this point. And I think most of us have at least heard the story of where they're at at this point. They've been wandering in the wilderness for how long? 40 years, they've been wandering for 40 years in the wilderness and they are now coming up to the banks of the Jordan River and God is saying, arise and go across the Jordan. Israel is going through the biggest transition at this point in their history up to this point because after 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, they have now come full circle to the banks of the Jordan. Remember, they've been there before they were supposed to cross into the Jordan 40 years before. And now they've wandered for 40 years and now here they are at the banks of the Jordan again. And this time God is saying, arise and go. They've been the witnesses of things in the wilderness, things that God has done, the way that God has worked. He wrought miracles. He's fed them for 40 years. He made sure that they had water. He's protected them. And they've learned some hard lessons over those 40 years. Remember the snake bites. Remember certain enemies that they had no power over. They've sometimes had to travel around and rearrange their path according to what they wanted to do. But either way, God has got them through this past 40 years, and now the wandering has come to an end. But the big change that really stands out for them is that their leader, Moses, has died. They've been wandering for 40 years. They've spent the last 30 days mourning for Moses, and I would suggest that they've lost more than a leader in this case. I would suggest that they've lost a father figure because the original group that came out of Egypt and was supposed to go into the promised land, as you recall, they had went against God and they didn't go into the promised land when he wanted them to go. And so they've wandered for 40 years and that generation has now passed on. So this next generation that has come up, all they really know for, for a leader is Moses. He's always been there. He's always been there for them and he's treated them an awful lot like family. He's treated them an awful lot like his children. He's led them in the best ways that he could lead them. He's provided for food, he's looked for water. And we know, of course, it's intercessory with God to make sure that this happens, but in his heart, you get the impression that there's this, this father type love for a group of people. In fact, he's even defended Israel when when God brought up this grand idea of, you know what, let's just leave them behind, and I'll start with you. Moses stood up and said, No, no. No, no. We gotta bring them along too. And I would suggest that there was a love there with Moses for these people and so they've lost his father figure and and Moses has always been there he'd always led with humility and meekness and now he's gone and now someone else has taken his place and that someone is not someone who's unfamiliar to them it's Joshua Joshua's been there the entire time he's been a strong leader under Moses He's been a general, he's been a scout, he's been a prime minister, and Moses even publicly anointed him as his successor. They know him, they trust Joshua. But still, it's not the same. It's not Moses. Moses was their their beloved leader. So this, not only entering into the promised land, but going forward with a new leader is all uncharted territory For Israel, it's all new. And God says to them, arise, get up, go. There's no time to waste. You've been wandering for 40 years. It's time now. Can you imagine? I know most of us here are over 40 years. um, And I remember a time when I thought 40 years was dreadfully old. And that was some time ago. And I don't feel like 40 years is all that old anymore. But still, can you imagine spending 40 years and all you have accomplished in your entire life is wandering? That's all you can say. So where have you been? You go back to the 40-year high school reunion. Where have you been? Wandering. Yeah, but I mean, what have you accomplished? Wandering. What about a career? I wandered that's not a whole lot to go back and talk about, is it? 40 years of wandering, and now God is saying, wandering is over, it's time to stop wandering. You've been doing it for 40 years, it's time to get up. Arise and go across the Jordan. It's time to get up, it's time to go. Starting today, you're gonna go somewhere different. Starting today, life is going to change. You know, maybe you just got that job that you always wanted Maybe you just retired from the job that you've always had. Maybe you signed a contract on your first home or the next home. Or maybe your last home. Maybe you just got married. Maybe you just had your first child. Whatever it is, life isn't ever going to be the same again. And God is saying, arise. There's a difference now. And he says, go, go over this Jordan. And not just Joshua. Notice he says, everyone is called to action in this new life. God is calling everybody. He says to you and all this people, total member involvement. Have you heard that phrase? Total member involvement. Everybody get up and get involved in this. This is something new, something exciting. You're not going to wander anymore. Everyone arise and go. And he doesn't even, I love this because he doesn't even tell Joshua how he's supposed to cross over the Jordan. He says, just go do it. Just go. And it sounds simple enough. It reminds me of Abraham in Genesis 12, if you want to read that this afternoon. We're not going to look at it now for time's sake, but read it this afternoon. Genesis 12, just the first four verses, God tells him to get up and go, get out of the country, get away from your family, get up and go. I'll tell you when you get there, just go. You ever done that in your life? Just pack up and go? with the idea that you'll realize you're there when you get there. No job planned out ahead, no residence, no nothing. Full tank of gas and that's about it. That's essentially what God is calling Abram, what he's calling Joshua, what he's calling the children of Israel, what he's calling each and every one of us to do in him. Step out in faith. Trust me. Just get up and go. I've got this. And it doesn't sound like a big deal. You know, just get up and go and cross the Jordan. If you know anything about the Jordan River, it's not that big of a river. Um, we're in Arizona, so I don't have a whole lot of rivers to compare it to. Um, back home, I have plenty of rivers that I can, and creeks and everything, you know. It, but the Jordan River wasn't that big unless it was in flood stage. And when you look at the book of Joshua, it just happened to be in flood stage at this point when they're getting ready right to cross the Jordan. Now, I want you to stop and think about that for just a second, because even the Jordan in flood stage, if you're from the desert country, it still doesn't sound like that much. But I want you to picture packing up grandma and grandpa or little Johnny, little Rachel, little ch- little children, the older generation, whomever it may be, packing up all your stuff, loading it up in the car, the trailer, and now go cross that flooded river. You know, it sounds like something to wade across the river and get to the other side. Okay, we cross the Jordan, let's go. We're in the promised land. This is flooded. What does a flooded river do? It gets muddy, debris, swift, deep, wide. The Jordan River is nothing to be messed with in flood stage, okay? And so that's what God has told Joshua and the children of Israel. Get up and go cross this flooded river. He doesn't tell them how to do it. He doesn't say if you go down two miles, there's a bridge that somebody built across. You'll be okay, okay? He doesn't tell him anything about it. He just says, get up and go. Get up and go. Arise, go, and live your new life. Now, while God does not tell Joshua how they're going to cross over the Jordan, he does lay out a strategy for success in stepping out in faith. Verse three, Joshua one still, verse three. He says, every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you. As I said to Moses, from the wilderness in this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites and to the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you, I will not leave you nor forsake you. So before he says, arise and go across the river, but before you go, please know that I will be with you. And please know wherever you go, you're going to be successful. See, this is God's formula for stepping out in faith. It's not just getting up willy nilly and saying, I'm going to go cross a flooded river today. It's going with God. If you're going with God, if God is with you, you can be assured of success no matter where you go, no matter what it is you're doing, as long as it's God's plan that you're going there. This is God's plan. He said, arise, go, cross the Jordan. I'm going to go with you. There's your formula. There's your assurance that you can get up and you can go and it's going to be okay. You don't have to know exactly how you're going to get across that Jordan River because you can trust that God is going to make a way. And so God is saying, rise, go, I will be with you. And all of a sudden, that immediate problem of crossing a flooded Jordan River seems pretty small in light of everything else that God promises to get us through. In fact, I wonder, how much would we be willing to do with God God if he promised you'll be successful in everything you do everywhere you go what would you be willing to do every spiritual battle every temptation every opportunity to share the gospel message I will go with you and every place you set your foot I've already given it to you It's already yours. He goes on in verse six. He says, be strong and of good courage for to this people shall, you shall divide as an inheritance the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and be very courageous that you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left that you may prosper wherever you go. See, when God tells us to arise and go, and then he promises to not only be with us, but to give us victory, we don't need to walk timidly through life, do we? We should stand firm, we should get up and be bold with a holy boldness, amen? However, this shouldn't be confused with arrogance. Does that make sense? One person understands what I'm talking about. We can get arrogant with it. We can be presumptuous with it. However, it does mean that when we have God's direction, when we have God's plan, we can stand up boldly and know when he is with us, we're going to be okay. But that certainly doesn't mean that we get up and go without God. Is that a little more clear? Don't leave God behind. We need God. But Strength and courage require the balance of wisdom and tact. Turn with me to Joshua chapter 5. We're going to start reading in verse 13. There's something important that we need to see here. Joshua chapter 5, starting in verse 13. Says, and it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, a man stood opposite him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said, Are you for us or for our adversaries? So he said, No, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshipped and said to him, What does my Lord say to his servant? Then the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, take your sandal off your foot for the place where you stand is holy. And Joshua did so. There's something interesting that we need to understand with this because I don't know about you, but if I were in Joshua's shoes or sandals at that point, and I'm out there in the woods, I'm walking through the woods, maybe I'm contemplating, how are we going to cross this river? And when we do, we've got Jericho to worry about. And I need a battle plan, so maybe I'm out there walking in the woods and I'm praying to God, and you know, how are we going to do this? And all of a sudden I look up and I see a man standing there with a sword drawn looking at me. I'm probably going to go behind a tree, maybe run for the camp, maybe call out for someone to come. I need some backup here. Not Joshua. Joshua was bold. He went straight up to him. And he asked him, are you for us or against us? See, Joshua knew that God was with him. He knew God had given him direction and he knew he could walk up to somebody. Now, he wasn't arrogant with it. He doesn't go pulling out his sword and challenging him to a fight. But he is bold and he goes up to him, who are you? Can I see some ID? In other words. And when it's revealed to him who he's with, He received one of the greatest blessings any one of us could ever receive because he spent time with Jesus Christ himself, the commander of the Lord's army. Can you imagine if he would have turned and run like maybe I would have done? Would God have punished him? I don't think so, but he would have missed out on that blessing of being able to sit down and talk with the Son of God himself and get a a battle plan for Jericho. He would have missed that blessing be strong be very courageous for i am with you just don't be arrogant about it the next lesson from joshua for 2024 is back in chapter one and we read it verses seven and eight if we could put it back up on the screen You see, the the book of the law that is being talked about here is our our one and only Bible, except in our Bible, it would be the first five books. That was their Bible. That's all they had written at that point for a Bible. And, And so God is telling them, be in your Bible, study it. Learn it. Know what God says. Know what his will is because it's written down. Go through it and know it. Don't turn to the left. Don't turn to the right, but stay on the middle of the road. If you go to the left or to the right, where are you? In the ditch. How far are you going if you're in the ditch? Not very far, not very easy, right? I remember years ago, I was on my way to work before I became a pastor, I worked in a grocery store. I was a young guy. And I had a Dodge Charger, for those of you who are Mopar fans. um, Had a big 360 engine in it. And and let me tell you, it would go. It it would go. I'm not joking. It would go. And I loved that. As a young man, I loved that car. But it was winter. And and I was was heading from the south, heading north to go to work. I had about a 40-mile drive one way. And, And so as I was going, it starts raining. And the temperature was right around freezing. It, it was, you know, dancing between that 31 and 33. So you never knew exactly where it was. Is it freezing? Is it not? And as a young man, I say young man, I was about 19 years old. You didn't really think about things like that. And, and so I remember I was going and, and the road to get there was, was hills. And I come up over the hill. The, the hill when I'm going uphill faces the south. And it was a little bit warmer. I got on the north side and it was a little bit cooler. It was just cool enough to have frozen over. And I was doing about 80 miles an hour when I come up over the top of that hill and I hit the ice. And I felt the back end slip. And those of you been or drivers, you know what I'm talking about when you feel that back end slip. All of a sudden, it starts going to the left. It starts going to the right and back to the left and back to the right, and it's going faster, and I have power steering, and I was doing a really good job of keeping up with it back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, when all of a sudden, it flipped around and started doing donuts, so I'm doing donuts downhill 80 miles an hour, and then I finally got it to stop doing donuts, except I was now sliding backwards at 80 miles an hour, or whatever it was by this point, felt like 80 miles an hour. And it was at that moment when I looked in my rear view mirror and realized that my back glass had frozen over and so had my rear view mirrors. So I'm going backwards, I have no idea who's coming at me, I have no idea where I'm going, I'm just going backwards. And I said, I can't keep doing this, something's gotta change. And so in my brilliance, I I just suddenly cut the wheel so I could turn around and at least get a glimpse of where I'm going. When I did, I started doing donuts again. The long story short, as as the donuts are happening, spinning, and I'm going down this hill, it started drifting over to the right. And when it did, it just happened to hit somebody's driveway. My back tires hit the driveway and went on the other side of the ditch. And so I, I slid with my front tires on one side of the ditch, my back tires on the other side of the ditch, and I came to a complete stop that close to a telephone pole. Now, at that point, I wasn't in the church. I wasn't a praying man or anything, but I prayed. And I thanked God for my life at that point. And then I opened the door to get out and see how bad it was. When I looked down, the ditch was about four feet deep. And I was like, well, I'm not going anywhere anytime soon. Uh, not through that door anyway, and I'm certainly not driving the car out of this. Folks, my point is, God is telling us to stay in the middle of the road because you get off the road, it doesn't matter if you go to the left side or to the right side, it doesn't matter which side you go, you're gonna wind up in the ditch, amen? If you wind up in the ditch, you're not gonna get to your destination. I wound up, not only was I late for work, I missed my entire night of work, so I didn't make my paycheck, plus I had a nice little tow bill to get my car out of that ditch. But I came out of it alive, amen? But if I had stayed... Within the rules of the road, going the right direction on the road, paying attention to what I was doing and not taking advantage of a 360 motor and a Dodge Charger, I probably would have made it to my destination and everything would have been fine and you wouldn't have got this illustration. God also tells him to stay behind the Ark of the Covenant. Joshua chapter 3. Verse four, notice what he says. He says, yet there shall be a space between you and it about 2,000 cubits by me. How far is 2,000 cubits? Mathematicians, anybody? About 3,000 feet. It's about 3,000 feet, a little over half a mile. Stay about half a mile behind the Ark of the Covenant, okay? Keep that in mind as you picture that as we read this. He says, now I gotta find it again. Verse four, he says, uh, yet there should be a space between you and it about half a mile by measure. Do not come near it that you may know the way by which you must go, for you have not passed this way before. I always wonder when I see that, why half a mile? You know, and we got to stop and think the obvious is stated right there so you can see where you're supposed to go. Stay back and watch. Let the Lord lead. Follow him. You're you're going to be okay. Why half a mile? It's a large group of people, right? It's a large group of people. So staying back half a mile gives everybody a chance to see where we're going. So we're all on the same page. Amen? But it's deeper than that. There's more to it, I think, than that. Stay back. The real reason is in verse 5. Joshua said to the people, Sanctify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. The Lord will do wonders. Wonders among you. Stay back so you can see the wonders that God's gonna do. Stand back and watch the miracles that God is going to perform to get you into the promised land. The Ark of the Covenant was extremely important to Israel. It served several purposes. It contained the stone tablets with God's law. It contained Aaron's rod that abutted contained a pot of manna, and those were all reminders of God's love, his provision, his leadership, but more than that, the ark symbolized God's presence with Israel. They were supposed to sanctify themselves. They were supposed to sanctify themselves because being in the presence of God, it reminds me of when God came down on Mount Sinai and the children of Israel had to consecrate themselves because they were gonna be in the presence of God. Same thing here. It's what it says in verse 10, Joshua 3.10. And Joshua said, By this you shall know that the living God is among you, and that he will without fail drive out from before you the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Hivites and the Perizzites and the Girgashites and the Amorites and the Jebusites. Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth is crossing over before you into the Jordan. God himself, is with the people. God himself is among the people. Staying back more than half a mile is a solemn act of reverence for this sacred symbol of the presence of God. But in addition to showing God's reverence, God was about to do something spectacular and they they had to be back far enough so everybody can see it. I watched a video of a guy who was explaining this great thing that God did. He explained it as an earthquake must have happened. It had to have been an earthquake. He was trying to explain away God and what what natural thing could have happened that would have caused this to be written in the Bible. And he explains that an earthquake knocked down rocks from the cliffs down into the water and it disrupted the flow of the water back at a city called Adam. And he cited other occurrences in modern history where this very thing was happening at that very spot. However, there's a problem with this theory because the Bible tells us that the water piled up in a heap. Not that a bunch of rocks fell down creating a dam. He also forgets that the Bible says that the priests stood on firm, dry ground. I don't know if you've ever been in a place where they have drained all the water out of a pond or anything, or even down in a riverbed, where the waters went down over a period of time. It's mucky, right? If you were to, in fact, we were, we were looking at a house, and, and we went into the backyard, and as we stepped into the backyard, I started sinking because they were overwatering the backyard. You know, it doesn't take much water to make the ground soft and and mucky and yucky. And the Bible says that when God parts the water of the Jordan, when he creates that dry path, it was firm, it was dry. There was no mucky muck. It was all they could walk on the dry ground. The priests stood firm on that dry ground. The Bible also notes that all the water piled all the way back at that town called Adam. Now, why do you think it would have piled up all the way back there? They didn't need that much room to go across, did they? Why in the world would it pile all the way back up to the town of Adam? Time required. Okay, time required. I'll buy that. Time required. But I think there's a deeper meaning. I think there's a bigger reason. Because I believe that God knew that there were gonna people, be people who come along and try to explain away this miracle. And and maybe some of the greatness of what God was doing would be taken away. God does big things. He tells the children of Israel to stand back so they can see what God is going to do. And that's one thing when your own people come forward and say, well, look what our God did. But when you've got a pagan nation who's the enemy of this God and they're saying, wow, look what their God did. It carries an awful lot of weight, doesn't it? All of a sudden, this becomes a credible event. And I think that's what God is doing here because God believes in testimonies. He believes that even though Israel would testify, now you've got some people who are not your people, who are not familiar with you, who are not allegiant to you. And now you've got some credibility. The people who were afraid of this God who parted the Red Sea can rest assured that this is the same God leading the same nation into their land. There was no doubt that Israel's God was alive and well. The other reason for staying behind the ark is what I said before, that you that you may know the way by which you must go, for you have not passed this way before. You're walking into uncharted territory. You don't have a map. You don't have a GPS. You don't have a friend you can call for directions. There's no gas station to stop at and, and find out which way to go. You need to know the way you must go. Kind of nice to have God who will guide you every step of the way into your future, isn't it? It's kind of nice to have God who will lead you and not take you on the wrong path, who will not let you go the wrong way as long as you're following closely, as long as you're listening, as long as you're keeping your eyes on him and seeing the way that he's leading, you can rest assured you will not go to the wrong direction. I mentioned we were looking at houses in this particular house that we were looking at. We made an offer on and and it was a strong enough offer that they didn't even negotiate and let me tell you we wanted this house this beautiful house it was everything that we looked for like man everything about this house is everything that we want except for one thing i was like i can't i don't have a spot to park my cargo trailer but i was like you know what i can sacrifice that because everything else we just love about this house and so we put our earnest money down and we started doing inspections and we got a contract and we're doing all these things And they said, you got to get an insurance quote from your insurance company. And when I called the insurance company, they said, "Uh, yeah, there was a a claim on this uh, two years ago for $110,000. I was like, oh, nobody told me about this. And so I asked her, I said, what was the claim for? Because that's a lot of money for repairs on a house. And so she sent me all the paperwork and my realtor got to work. I I, I love our realtor. She's wonderful. Um, She got to work and, and what wound up happening is there had been some kind of backup of water in that house for some period of time. There was black mold all over the walls there. I mean, it was everywhere. It was so bad it had gotten into the pool. And so they called someone in, they gutted the whole thing and redid it and never tested to make sure that they got it all. And so we made the hard decision that we're going to have to pass on that house. It was hard to make that decision. But my family and I just felt like God was saying, don't turn over there. That's not the right road. That's not the way that I'm trying to lead you. There were too many red flags and too many professionals that were saying, this is not a good decision. Pass it by. And you know, as heartbroken as we are that we didn't get that house, we are so thankful to God that he is leading us every step of the way. And that when we do get a house, it'll be one that he foresaw for us, one that he picked out, one that will be good for us, that will be a blessing to us. And because we're blessed by it, we can be a blessing to other people. And so... God is saying, keep your eyes focused on him. Pay attention to the way that he's leading. And as long as you do so, you'll not make wrong decisions. You'll not turn the wrong way. You'll not get lost. You'll find yourself in the place where you're supposed to be at your destination. That's the blessing of standing back and watching God do what he does and watching how he leads. You can rest assured that you will arrive where you're supposed to be. We're coming into a new year. A lot of things are going on around the world. A lot of things are going on in our community. But again, step back and keep your eye on God. Watch where he's leading you. Follow him wherever he goes, and you will find yourself right where you're supposed to be because he will never lead you astray. And so my challenge to you, not a resolution, but a challenge to you, is to place yourself in the hands of God. Even if it sounds crazy, like crossing this flooded Jordan River, know that God's got a way to get you through 2024. It may be a miracle. It may be so mundane that you don't even notice it. But whatever it is, God will get you through because you can count on him and his love for you. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your leadership. We thank you for your love for us, that you would never lead us off the right path. But if we can maintain our focus on you, that you will get us to our destination, that final promised land of spending eternity with you where there never has to be that separation again. But we can be at your feet for all of eternity. We pray that that day comes soon. In Jesus' name, amen.